My name's Peter Law, I'm one of the directors of the Players Trust. And so first of all, we'll get straight into it. What sort of stories have you had evolving around youth footballers that may have been released at the age between 16 and 18? Well, there's a lot of it in the news now because it's a really topical subject and it's typical of football that what actually happens is it picks up on topical subjects. And I guess because uh, the way in which social media is and the press is these days, it picks up on uh, things that become storylines, if you like. And uh, this issue of young players leaving the game with nothing else to leave, leave to and uh, without anything else to move back towards uh, jobs or training or whatever it might be is a prevalent story really, Matt. Um, and there's lots of stories doing the rounds, you know, very young players leaving um, and something that you've already mentioned not too long ago about something like 55% leaving with psychological problems. That doesn't surprise me, you know. It's an issue in the game because players are under huge pressure now, even at that level. And they want it so much that actually when they don't get it, it's a massive surprise to them because they put all their eggs in one basket. And what would, would you say that football clubs care of them isn't at the forefront of their mind when they're developing these players? Well, it would be wrong to actually turn around and say that football doesn't care because that's not true. It really does. Um, and the game is set up better now than ever to be able to take care of the needs of any player, let alone a young one, let alone an old one. At the end of the day, whether that happens inside of an individual club is down to the ability of the individual club to actually do that or the desire of the club to want to show that they want to do that. And that's the bottom line at the end of the day. Some clubs do it very, very well. And there, aren't, there are some clubs that, with all due respect, the stories that we've had at the, the Trust, they're not particularly bothered. Um, the simple fact is, is that if you work with your players properly, and this is a big point this, if you work with your players properly as a coach or a member of the academy staff, no matter what age a player is, you will see his development process on a daily basis. You get big indicators on a daily basis whether or not a player is ever going to be good enough to make the appropriate standard. And if he's not going to make the appropriate standard, Matt, in truth, actually, you should be setting that process up to deal with the problem that's going to arise very quickly or even over a period of time. And so, actually, you're preparing that player's mindset for the fact that he's not going to be quite good enough to play in that standard. So instead of dropping a bomb on him, you know, at the last second, where, if you like, his, his world is shattered overnight inside milliseconds and his mind, when he's got up for breakfast this morning or that morning, there was no issues. And all of a sudden, two hours later, he's faced with the most cataclysmic situation of his life. With all due respect, I don't call that good management of a player's needs. On the other hand, if he's falling behind the standard, then you are duty-bound as a member of staff to point out to him that he is falling behind the standard. That you give him objectives to meet to try and make up to the standard. If he's not going to make the standard, with all due respect, it may well be down to the fact that his talent isn't as good as it needs to be. You can't change that. That's life. But what you can do is prepare him for the fact that he isn't going to be good enough. That's called duty of care, in my opinion. That's called real caring duty of care. That doesn't always happen. And what sort of more could be done from the football club's perspective to, to make them all prepared? You've touched on it there about the man management side of things and making them aware that they might be falling behind standards. What more can actually be done? Well, the main thing, as I've just said now, is recognition of, of a player's development process 
you know, you compare players with other players, you, you compare players with new players that come into the football club at whatever age that might be. And ultimately, it's a competitive environment where they, ha they, they may well ultimately have to go up against their own mate to either get a contract or not. And if there's one contract to be offered and there's two going for it, and two people that are going for it end up to be the best friends, that's just life, that's the way in which he's in the football club. But providing you prepare a player for the fact that he might not be good enough and you speak along those lines, that's not negative. You know, that's, that's simply preparing a player for actually what might not be right for him. On the other hand, he might not be good enough for that club, but be good enough for another environment. You prepare him for the fact that he may have to move from this one to pick up a career and start to move it from somewhere else. That's not a statement of fact that... Um, <clears throat> one club's better than another or one club's worse than another. It's just a statement of fact that actually at that moment in time, he's not quite as good as some of the other players that you have inside of your club. That's competitive environment. Now, if it's a boy that's clearly not going to play at the top level, then what you've got to prepare him for is that actually, does he really want to play at a lesser level? And that's a question that he has to answer. But you've, you've got to help him find the answer to that. You can't just leave him on his own. He's an immature young man. He's got to help him find the answer on that. But the, sec the second bit to that is he may have to move out of football permanently. Now, the choice quite, quite simply lie now. Does he want to stay in the game with potentially another route to being involved in the professional game, such as coach, head of education, uh, physiotherapist, whatever it might be? Or does he want to move out of the game permanently and, and, and obtain a, a second career pathway? Every club should work towards helping players on second career pathways. So you've been at, you was at Man City for a fair amount of time, it's fair to say. You actually had one of the better percentages of success rates in terms of making players into professional footballers. We did actually, yeah. Um, we had a system, Matt, that was uh, it's a really interesting system. These days, they, you know, under the new Premier League EPPP rules, Elite Player Performance Programme rules, um, category 1 clubs are, are required to provide full-time training programmes for their players. Generally speaking, that means players attending a designated school of the club um, they get moved to and from the football club on a daily basis to training programmes, back to schools, on specific education programmes, etc. But back well into the early 2000s, we developed a programme that we called a day release programme from schools. And we would negotiate with the schools of boys from under 14, under 15 and under 16 to come into the football club on a two-day-per-week basis. And whatever lessons they missed at schools, we um, arranged with the schools to have those lessons retaught at another time during the week and we paid the staff for reteaching those lessons. So we had a budget for doing so. But players were inside the club for two days per week. That was simply the most successful thing we ever did. The number of players we got from that was incredible, but is the interesting thing. People always talk about the education. We had one player literally in a nine to 10 year spell operating this process with a boy who didn't meet his educational standards. Just one. That's pretty amazing really. Because one of the philosophies at Manchester City was really simple, is that we wanted intelligent players. Intelligent players can sort problems out. Intelligent players pick up things very quickly. And by intelligent players, I don't necessarily mean academic intelligence although there is a correlation between that and sporting ability, apparently. What I mean by that is that players who can pick up problems, uh, sorry, can pick up information, use it on the training ground, 
also understand that they have to have an independent mindset. So whatever information that they got given to them helps them away from the football pitch. So there is no difference between a player off the pitch and a player on the pitch. They both manage the career. It's one of the same thing these days because the pressures away from the field now are just commensurate. They're just vast, to be honest with you. And you've got to prepare players for that. Recent research in 2015 found that 55% of young footballers released suffered with psychological distress within two weeks afterwards. What impact can that have more long-term to what they may want to do outside of football? That's a really good question, that. And, and it's one that I don't think you'll answer literally by one answer to a, a really good question. That said, um, I think that initially it's the disappointment. There's no question about that. And that comes back to it originally, if you remember the first question, you know, do you provide a, a situation where players understand where they are in their development process, truly understand, so nothing's of surprise to them? Or is it a cataclysmic event that happens two hours post-breakfast? Originally, uh, originally speaking, that what happens there is a player, obviously, it's a huge disappointment. It's just impacted upon him that his world's just fallen apart inside milliseconds because somebody's just said to him, son, you're not good enough. You know, said it in a nicer way than that, of course, but at the end of the day, that's what it amounts to. You know, um, so I think that I'm not surprised by all of that, to be honest with you. But I also think there is talk these days that, you know, younger people, if you like, aren't quite as resilient as, say, I don't know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. I, I don't know where I stand with that, to be honest with you. Nobody's ever demonstrated to me that that's actually the case, and therefore I don't deal with that. It's, on a, and it's always been to me on a player-to-player -player basis. Play, all players are different. And I think that the whole thing in preparing them for this situation, um, potential psychological issues, if you like, is helping them to manage adversity when they're still in, actually in the game. There'll be an initial period of disappointment. I'm not surprised, by the way, to hear that there are players that, if you like, two years later, three, four, five years later, still have issues. I'm not surprised by that. Um, do I know how to manage that? No, I'm not a psychologist. I've always considered myself a mentor of players and a pretty good one at that. Sounds arrogant, but if I don't say it, nobody else will. And I think that this is all about creating relationships with players. And I think it's all about being honest with players. I think it's all about demonstrating to players that you care about them not just as footballers, but as people. It's OK having an elite player performance programme that talks about people first, players second. I've seen it in some places where people are first and players second. And I've seen it in other places where players are first and people don't matter. So, you know, it depends on the environment, Matt, to be honest. It's a very difficult term question to answer properly. I think we'd probably need a week. <laughs> so you mentioned the environment there. Do you think that potentially they're given too much too soon in the modern game and that generally just have a knock-on effect, obviously, when a few days down the line they're like, oh, right, OK. That's not there anymore. Yeah, I think that's very much part of it. It's not all of it, by the way, because it would be bland and crass to blame it on one, one issue of that nature. Um, equally, it would be bland, bland and crass to, to turn around and say all parents expect too much, because that's not true, and I'll come back to that. But there's too, soon, too much too soon early, absolutely. I think that we've got a situation now where FIFA deregulated this role of the, the role of intermediaries and agents. Anybody now can get a licence to operate as an intermediary, which generally speaking means that you can end up with people inside of it doing that role that you may not consider appropriate. That's not for me to comment on, of course. I'll just bring the question up. 
You know, at one time, players were desperate just to play in first teams. They were desperate to get into reserve sides, if you like, under-18s, as it was. And then it went to under-19s, came back to under-18s, then it went to under-21s. To get into the under-21 team was a hell of a step forward. To get into the 23s was a hell of a step forward, as it is now. And, and then into the first team. I'm not so sure these days that when a player is picking up serious degrees of money at 17, 18 and 19 years of age, whether there is a fervent desire to truly play in the first team as they say they want to do. Because should failure actually occur, if you like, they know they're covered. It's competitive sport, Matt, at the end of the day. It's a bloody competitive environment. You know, you really shouldn't be striving to be number two in the group. You should be striving to be number one. And then it's the old Jack Nicholas adage. If you can't be number one, be number two. If you can't be number two, be number three. You ask yourself how much that gets influenced when the pocket's fairly well laden, even before it needs to be. You've got to earn that. You know, it's as simple as that. So I do think that's a problem, definitely. Whether that's going to change or any day soon, I, I doubt that very much. You touched on it there about the parents yeah. and their expectations. Do you think there's a certain onus that does fall on the parents, though, to sort of tell their kids that perhaps they need to be aware that football isn't only the odd way to make a living? Utterly. Absolutely utterly. Uh, there's no other way to, to answer that, but emphatically, yes, this to your answer. But let's not cover up an issue by saying that this is all a parent's fault, because it isn't. You know, there are expectations that are laid on players not just by parents, but by people inside of football clubs, people around the periphery of a player, it could be an agent, it could be an intermediary. Because let's be honest, if a player does well, they're going to do well. So let's not mince words and say that. That's a simple fact. That's why they're in that business in the first place. So, you know, there's all these levels, if you like, of expectation. And it would be unfair to blame it, um, put it at, at parents' doors. And I think it's, it's become a very topical thing to say. You know, to, parents have got too many expectations. In my time in the game, Matt, I can't ever turn around to you and say that I found that to be a massive problem. I didn't. I think an awful lot of it depends on how you want to educate your parents and to manage your parents. We took, we took the view at Manchester City that our parents were unbelievably important to the process of player development. For simply for the first reason, because without parents there aren't players in the first place. That's a simple fact, by the way. You know, because they bring them to training, they take them away from training, they bring them into games, etc., etc. So, without their compliance, there isn't a player. But then there's the second part to it. You've got to educate a player, a parent rather, as to what role he or she, or both, actually play in their son or daughter's development. And actually, do they? We took the view that they did. And the more information we gave them, the, using modernisms, the more empowered we found that they actually were. But there's a third bit that comes with it, and it's a really clever bit, by the way, and people miss this bit. You know, most of the successful environments in the world, in sport, in business or whatever, are running environments and cultures where there's an affinity for the business, where people work or people are related to or work with, if you like. So when people begin to love the place, not just because they're supporters of the club you work at, but actually they can see how well their son is treated, their daughter is treated and the opportunities that they've got if they put their work in. You start to get more compliance at the other end. So you've got to ask yourself, if you're not spending time doing that, why? Why not? That's your job. You know, look beyond the bounds of your job. The bound of the job is not just a player. 
So in terms of expectations, it's managing expectations which is a critical factor. But in order to manage expectations, you've got to know who is placing those expectations on them and then have a process for educating expectations and for changing expectations, managing them on a daily basis. And then just talk about to me what the Players' Trust is attempting to do, what are you attempting to do with the Players' Trust? Well, all those years ago when two guys came to see me and presented these ideas, I loved the concept of this independent support service, if you like, to players and parents. And if you like, families of players and parents that would provide different support things. So, for example, like um, helping them to manage adversity and helping to educate parents as towards expectations. Um, helping them to uh, find uh, the appropriate intermediary or the appropriate agent, if you like. Helping parents to prepare them to interview intermediaries before they gave their son's life to him. You know, I mean, why would you do that without knowing who that person is, for goodness sakes? And some of the horror stories that have come down the line to us um, of parents that actually haven't done that and then find themselves in the most catastrophic of situations. And it's quite genuinely true. But also this, this situation of, of being seen as an independent support service where people can come and present dis disclosures to you. Some quite unpleasant ones as well, by the way. You know, really quite um, difficult situations to actually have to manage and where you can help them and show them how to manage it inside of the football process and to get, if you like, some sort of um, reaction from the appropriate authorities is quite... Um, it's quite a satisfying thing. So it's really, it's quite an extensive service, there, right? and I, I genuinely believe it's got legs. I really do. You know, players of 16 upwards, when they become apprentices at clubs and then eventually professionals at clubs, etc., they've got the Professional Footballers Association, Players' Union, if you like. Isn't it time that parents and, and uh, uh, well, parents of younger sons and daughters had exactly the same opportunity. I'm not talking about a union. I'm talking about an independent support service they can phone up, they can work with. You know, we've had little situations like this year where a, a mother and father phoned, didn't want to leave a name. And that's fine, by the way. Got no problem with that. Didn't want to talk about a club. That's equal, even, even finer with me. But their 11-year-old son, who was a goalkeeper, didn't know how to handle... Uh, the weight of expectation of a coach in the, tr in, the, in the changing room and it was becoming too much for him and nobody inside of the club had noticed that it was a problem and yet the goalkeeper they believe is, is, is a, you know, a, a good prospect etc and even if he wasn't he's got a right to be treated with parity according to others um, and all we did was help the parents on how to shall we say alleviate that pressure and to speak to the coach concerned and just to work out with them and say to them actually what it's doing to their son. Not in an inflammatory way, but in a way which maintains relationships, but even better, develops relationships. It's a really great example, actually. And it's a really simple, basic one. And how many times that happens in a game, in a football club? Wow. Probably thousands, if not more, in a season. So, difficult problem. And then you touch on the PFA. They are, I don't want to say anything on this, but... Do you think there's enough from them to make it aware to players that there is support out there? It's an inflammatory question really in some ways, Matt, but uh, I'm smiling because um, I know how I want to answer it. They have a role, if you like, they would say they have a role to perform with um, professional footballers. I think football at all levels could do an awful lot more for younger players. 
That's a bit diplomatic, by the way. Um, but it could do an awful lot more for younger footballers and, and the parents of those, of those players. No question about that. You know, if you want high-performance players, they've got to come from high-performance cultures. They have to. Right. Culture precedes results all of the time, not some of the time. So if you want to go to the, the great sporting leaders, if you like, and even the great leaders in life, um, people like Bill Walsh of the San Francisco 49ers now passed away, Pat Riley, LA Lakers, the great Vince Lombardi of the Green Bay Packers, the very great Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, and you speak to those people, some of which you can't know because they're not here with us, but if you speak to those people, they will say to you that culture is without question the most important thing. And if you read their works, it comes out in droves. Now, you ask yourself in some environments, why do those environments not succeed? Permanently, if you like, um, or um, even partially. I guess that's not for me to say, but I would say that uh, to, some, to some degree that the culture is not seen as being that important. But in places where, in high-performance environments where culture precedes results, when change needs to happen, the culture helps to manage that, and the people inside of that culture know that they're part and parcel of that change. You know, they have to drive change. You know, so the, it's almost like asking the question: Does change drive us, or do we drive the change? I'm in the latter seat. Always have been. I'm not in the former. So you know, it's, there are questions that you, you have to ask. High performance players come from high performance cultures. Always have and nearly always will. There'll always be exceptions to every norm in every great sporting environment, no question. But we can learn so much. Um, I, I just, you know, you can, we, you can learn so much from, from great sporting places, from reading the works of other people. Alex Ferguson talked about becoming yourself. And what he meant by that was that you start to develop your ideas and your personality in the game through reading works of others, watching the works of others watching how people have failed, watching how people have succeeded. Once again, I've always been in that row. I like that. Um, so if we can build something that the players trust, if you like, into something that can be a huge support to players and parents, then I think we've done a great service for the game. And have you got anything else to add for me? Not really, Matt. I could sit and talk about this for a week, mate, but you've probably got that. Um, you know, football's a great business, by the way. I mean, I'll say this, and it kind of with the words really of one, an old colleague of mine who's um, a terrific academy manager. He turned around and said, you know, football's a fantastic place when you're succeeding. When it's not quite going right, it can be incredibly lonely. And when players are lonely, they need help. But by the way, the best of players have hard times and they need help. You know, so they can't always do it for themselves. Part of being a member of staff inside a high-performance culture is knowing when a player needs help. You know, and you step up to the plate at that moment in time. And then you decide to step out when he doesn't need you. Don't interfere when he doesn't need you. Create an independent mindset. That's really important so he can understand how to provide for himself. But there comes times when providing for himself is just a bit challenging and he might need your help. Step up to the plate.